My number one spot is the 300 level. We have this premium space called the Encore uh, Lounge Deck. It's named after a casino in Boston. It has a view of the field overlooking it. And in the distance, there's some hills that it just gives it a nice green New England feel. So you get a nice, beautiful view, a nice breeze, and then a beautiful New England view from the top. So I, I really love going up there and just uh, thinking and reflecting on, you know, maybe a bad call or, you know, something someone said, and then going back to work and giving it 110% again. John Dutton. I'm very well, thank you. My pleasure to join you. Arman Alwalia. Thank you so much, Eugene. This is uh, quite an honor. I appreciate you uh, you extending the offer to, to come here and speak today. Pedro Diaz-Rudal. First of all, thanks for having me and excited, you know, to be part of this podcast. Ronan Doniger. Huge. Thank you very much, I suppose, first of all, for having me on your show. The key point is ask, 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 and never give up. And welcome to ePROcast. Hey everyone, hope you enjoy the podcast so far. In this episode, Big E flies from Malmo to Halifax, Massachusetts, where he sits down with the business development executive at New England Revolution and a very genuine professional in sports industry, John Gallagher. John is passionate about European football or soccer if you're from the US. He shares his awesome story and his aspirations in the future and also the differences between the business models in the US and Europe. Hope you'll get value from this chat. And please consider subscribing and leave reviews on the platforms you're listening to this podcast to. The chat between John and Big E starts now. Enjoy! Hey everyone, I'm excited to chat today with the one and only John Gallagher the business development executive at the New England Revolution. John, thanks for taking the time and uh, and uh, joining me for this episode. I'm really excited about, about this one and uh, really grateful for our connection. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Is it the winter mode uh, in Massachusetts already on? No, it's been a strange one so far. It's, uh, I know uh, it's only been about 50 degrees here. Uh, I know for some of the Foreign listeners, I know Fahrenheit, it's actually only 10 degrees Celsius, which is very abnormal. Um, I wish it was more five or two. I really prefer two more than five. Um, for you U.S. listeners out there, that's 36 degrees and 40 degrees. So, uh, yeah, I prefer it cold. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you also, um, I have to do two in a row because uh, last episode... If you haven't checked it out with uh, with Jacob from Sweden, we're currently uh, flying from 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 Sweden straight to, to the back to the US uh, and talking to to John. Um, Jacob was rocking the Swedish shirt, and he was he of course being Swedish, he's rooting for his national team. Uh, sadly, they lost to France, <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's sad, that's sadly. I, I told I'm gonna. I'm going to put that in the intro, but I didn't put it because I didn't want to upset him. But uh, Jacob, sorry if you're listening to this one. <laughs> uh, but John is uh, rocking the Revolution shirt. And actually, it's, 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 uh, it's, is it a lucky one? Because you told me before the call, you also uh, closed an account today. <laughs> yes, I did. And, uh, you know, hopefully when I listen to this in the future, we have one. Uh, and I get to put on this again uh, on Tuesday. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely a lucky shirt. Um, and I'm looking forward to what the team's going to do tonight. And hopefully in the future, when I hear this, I'll be celebrating. So they're, they're, they're playing they're playing the Montreal Impact. They, what, what's, yes, Thierry Henry's team. 
Yep, yep, yep. What do, what do you think about this one? Do you have a, a score in your mind? You know, you know, we've had a really interesting season, and luckily all of our uh, players are going to be back. We had our best player, Carly's heel. He was out all year recovering from a, a bone spur in his Achilles. So, you know, it would be good to have all three of our best guys out there and a fully stocked team. And, you know, I, I think we match up really well against Montreal. We've had some good success against them when we played them this season. And I think uh, we're going to be able to win the game tonight and be able to move on to the next round of the MLS Cup playoffs. There you go. That's, that's a good one. Good luck with that. Uh, John, I think I think to give a little bit more context to the audience, I think it's it's going to be really interesting to to if you can share your story, and I'll put you I'll give you a situation, and I think this is going to be more more not stressful but more challenging for you. I, I want to get I want to to put people on test. If you would be at a public event, a speaking event right now related to sports business, and you would have in front of you five thousand people, how would you introduce yourself to the audience? What would the, those first two minutes of your spiel would look like? You know, I'd probably start by saying I never expected I'd be here, to be honest with you. And, you know, when I first began, I went to school and studied international business, Spanish and Arabic. Um, I have a back. My, I'm Lebanese by um, descent. My mom's whole side of the family is from there. My father's um, mother's side is from there. So it's very deep in me. And I've always been interested in sport, um, particularly American football, um, my true love. And um, so when I was first in school, I you know, got an internship working for a collegiate baseball league called the NECBL. Uh, if the listeners know, there's this league called the Cape League where the best prospects in college baseball go and they um, go train. And this league is the league before, below that. So I got to work for the Plymouth Pilgrims and I did everything. Ran concessions, did ticketing, did advertising. I even went to uh, this uh, store called BJ's and got, you know, all the concession product. And even one day met Johnny Drama and had to tell him and his family where to sit so he could throw out the first pitch. Um, so I did a lot of stuff. And at the end of every game, I just look at our general manager. And he'd be brutally exhausted. And he'd be like, oh, man, what a tough one. What a tough one. Is this really for me? So after that season, I kind of did some thinking and I, I got to go to Beirut, Lebanon and study Arabic there and get to meet my family and do all those things for the first time. And it was really awesome. And then I went to... Granada, Spain, and got to see Europe and, you know, improve on my Spanish and all these things. And so then I was like, okay, it's, I definitely want to do something international, but is it with sport? So then I thought, you know what, I'm going to get involved with travel. I love travel. So around uh, my senior year of college, I started applying to all these travel places. Well, it didn't work out. And then I said, you know what, I'm teaching Arabic at Stonehill College. I'm, you know, people come to me for Spanish advice off the beaten path. Maybe I should teach English. So I uh, thought, uh, so I applied to the Minister de, Ministerio de Educación. You probably know this, they're out in Madrid. And um, I applied to that, got in, but it was only 700 euros a month. Can't really live in, even in Andalusia of all places. Yeah. Sorry to the Andalusian uh, listeners. Uh, you can't really live off 700 euros. And then I, um, so I decided that wasn't going to work. And then I, uh, my cousins in Lebanon, they knew folks at a monastery that were looking to teach uh, New up and coming priests English. So I got that, but that was only $300 a month. And you can't really live off that. So I went, okay, maybe this isn't going to work out. And of all the, you know, of all the things to happen um, in Boston, David Ortiz gets shot in the Dominican Republic and there's a press conference. 
about, you know, him and the injury and the wound and this guy speaking Spanish. And my mom looks at the TV and then looks at me and goes, well, if that guy is doing it, John, why can't you? So the first thing I did was I reached out to my, my boss's boss now, Nick Mann, and um, he visited my school and spoke to us, a call with them, sat down, and the rest is history. I now work for the Revolution for the past year and a half. Crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that's, that's a good feeling in front of 5,000 people, man. <laughs> Very impressive. You know, I think I'd, get a, I think I'd get a couple good laughs out of the audience. Uh, no, that's, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. So you, tra you traveled a lot. And of course, you, you went to, to school in different countries. And you, I, I, since the moment we, we connected, and I'm, I'm, I'm rewinding, of course, you know, I, I told you I'm, I'm really grateful for our connection. And since the first moment we, we, we connected... You told me you have a passion for European sports and European sports model. I just wanted you to share with the, with the audience why, how this passion to this part of the world's sports business came to you. And uh, we all know, you know, the American business model because uh, I had a lot of guests on the, on the podcast from the US. But why? It's interesting for me to ask a professional from the from uh, from the other you know from from overseas to 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 share why why he's passionate about um, European sports model. Can you can you share more about this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what gets me about the European model is the passion behind each club and what the clubs are able to do within their given space. Um, in the United States, obviously, we we make it very profitable, and it's a profit sharing leagues. Take the National Football League, for example. You know, they profit share and are really, really good at just making excellent partnerships, great TV deals, and making excellent brands within the country and expanding that out. But then when I think about that globally, the NFL, when they go global, they decide who goes over there. It's not as easy as the Jaguars say, well, we're not getting anybody to come to our stands. We're going to pack up and go to London. And what I always thought was so interesting is how each club and most of these European leagues are essentially their own entity that exists within a framework. Take, for example, we'll use Liverpool. They exist within the European football pyramid. Yes, I know about the European football, the, excuse me, the English footballing pyramid. Uh, and the cool thing I think is not only are they, they're not constrained to just Liverpool. Most of Liverpool's fans are global. They're overseas. They come to Boston. They go to Singapore. They go to Tokyo. They go to Beijing. You know, and I think just having that mobility for these clubs is really cool, and it gives them a lot more space to be dynamic. Now, the flip side of that is you have a team like Hull, sorry if there's any Hull City fans listening, that was in the Premier League, and then they saw all their revenues just significantly drop because they lose the TV money. Then they're in the championship, and they're very constringent on that, and they're trying to spend money to get back into the Premier League, and then they lose any sort of championship-related things, and they go down into League One. You know, that's very, very brutal. But at the same time, it requires you to be not only savvy from a business standpoint, but savvy from a club side. And I feel that in America, sometimes we get very lazy with this. Some teams get, you know, they get a little, you know, poor, I shall say. And it, and it almost becomes as if the fan base drops everything and it's all about tanking and it's about getting the best draft pick. Where in Europe, if you're in the bottom tier, it's almost as you care way more about your team not losing if they're about to go down a league than if they're in the middle of the table. It is, and to me, just that ability to be so mobile and the ability to just expand beyond your country with ease just purely fascinates me. And especially when you see some of these clubs that are becoming global brands, like PSGs, 
Manchester cities, Manchester United's, Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, you'll see them in every city on earth. And for us, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers, New York Yankees, as much as I hate saying those two brands, they're global. You know, they're, these are global things that you can see everywhere on earth. And, you know, I think a lot of that helps with the history. But the other part is, you know, kind of the outward mobility these brands have had with their success to get global. They still are confined by um, their leagues and what their leagues want out of mobilization for global initiatives. So. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, you also mentioned uh, the, uh, the global brands, but they also put a lot of, a lot of efforts into it. And I also liked how you, how you mentioned that the European clubs are putting more effort by the end of the year because they know by the end of the season, because they know that if they lose, they will lose, especially in, in the, in the uh, premiership. If they go down, that, that's a huge drop in, the, in their uh, revenue. Yeah, look at a club like Norwich that keeps yo-yoing. I mean, yeah, they're okay. But when you look at, look at last year's uh, um, promotion battle between Fulham and um, Brentford, if Brentford goes up, you could say they keep everybody. They keep Ollie Watkins, and I forget the other guy's name that begins with an M. But now they're in the Premier League. They spend a little more money. They don't lose these guys. For now, basically, the team is in sell-off mode because they have to sell all the players to finance the new stadium. And now they're, I believe, at the time of this middle of the table in the championship. I may be wrong. I haven't checked the standings in a while. But, you know, that's such a drastic change. And it's really incredible versus here. Well, I went, you know, for example, right now with the New York Jets, they're 0-9. You know, they could go 0-16, but they're still in the NFL. Next season, they could win the Super Bowl. Where in England, this doesn't exist. In Spain, this doesn't exist. You know, when I was in Granada, the Granada club was in uh, the second division of Spanish football or soccer. You know, and now they're fighting in the European League, the um, the Euro League. So Europe, yeah. it's really, yeah, it's really amazing, you know. And I just think that that disparity, in, it's just incredible, you know, and it puts a lot more It's Again, every system has its pros and cons, but to me, I just think it's unbelievable that that mechanism allows teams to play for things even when there's, quote-unquote, nothing on the line for them in terms of a championship. I noticed in, in the U.S., uh, the, uh, and especially NFL, for example, they put a lot of, uh, the, the, team, the franchise are putting a lot of emphasis to win first games, and then if they are not succeeding, you know, Pittsburgh now is doing super well. <laughs> they're like nine yep. and zero or something like this. So <clears throat> if there's, I think they look at their history of what's the best scenario for them. And if they don't reach that at the beginning for the first, I don't know, 10 games, then I think they just kind of give up. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to accuse any team of tanking, especially the players, because I know the players give it their all. But I know for a lot of fan bases, you know, a lot of folks, they still want to win, but some do say, hey, losing, you know, and, and it's kind of unfortunate that that's the thing. But then again, on the flip side of that, if your team has a very good draft pick, then the franchise is ignited. The fans are excited. Everybody's ready to go. And then the next day, if they get that guy that sparks, you know, the fans, boom, the phone calls come in, the sponsorships, the memberships, you know, people want to come watch the team again. So it's really interesting, as you say. But but yeah, even if your team is doing very well, if your team, let's say, has a playoff position, You know, they may rest their players the final two games. And that's very interesting, especially in the NFL when you play 16 games. You know, I, you know, little Johnny wants to come see Patrick Mahomes play, but he's sitting out the, uh, on the only game he can go see. What kind of a fan experience is that? You know what I mean? But uh, again, pros and cons to everything. And, you know, each one, and again, hopefully for, for me, you know, 
I can't believe I'm going to say this on your podcast, as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan living in New England, if I get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, I'm going to lose my mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, there you go. There you go. Linking this one, I think this is going to be really, really valuable, John, for, for the listeners and not only for someone who wants to work in sports, but in general, someone who it might think of switching from European business model to American and so on, because we talked about American uh, sports franchises, not they don't have that relegation and, you know, the, the system. So they, they can make a long-term plan when it comes, you know, to, to, to what they want to do. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, Teams might work on their uh, on their arenas, on their on their stadiums, et cetera, et cetera. Where in England or Spain, they might can't really make big time plans because two years they will play in the Primera or uh, or Premiership or any other or League One, and then year three, when they're in the middle of their construction, they go down, and what they do. <laughs> Yeah, and I think of um, you know that's a real big thing, and that there's very few clubs in the world that can have that long-term planning. You know, we can maybe say five at best. And you're right, that's a very difficult thing to to plan for because I would say, especially for for soccer, it's very important, especially when you're in those lower leagues, to have that capacity and be able to get that ticket revenue because that's what's going to drive you into those leagues to build those sponsorships build out those marketing plans and allow your players to become stars, to get the viewership and continue with the collective bargaining of the TV contracts. Where here, you're right. Because you are guaranteed to be in the league, you can plan for it. Like look at some of these beautiful stadiums we've built here in the States, Mercedes-Benz, SoFi Stadium. Um, Allegiant. You know, yep, Allegiant. That, and a lot of those teams weren't doing too well um, when the plans were going in place. The Raiders were were, you know, middle of the road. Uh, Atlanta, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think they were on the up and up. And then LA, you know, the Rams have been excellent since coming back to Los Angeles. But, you know, that's three different scenarios there. But still, they've now made, you know, amazing stadiums. And they have little to no worry because they know that, you know, the NFL isn't going anywhere. Their position in the league isn't going anywhere. That money will come in and they will be able to help use that to leverage them into the future. Right. And also connecting this this theme, what we're talking about with your direct responsibility at, uh, Revol- at Revolution. And I think it's going to be really, really awesome if you can give a little bit of context to, to, to the listeners what, what your responsibilities are w- within your role. And when also we're talking about, you know, American model being a little bit more stable, you know, because you're not going down. MLS is still, you, you there's no relegation. No relegation. Yeah. So, so how this, um, how you leverage this stability when you are talking to your potential prospects, you know, potential clients and future customers and so on and partners. You know, it's interesting because in this culture, that's not something people fear. They don't fear the relegation portion of it. I think the challenge for me with, with selling revolution tickets is that the revolution is the quote unquote fifth sport of Boston. We have a lot of established brands here. Yeah. Boston Red Sox, Boston Celtics, Boston Bruins, New England Patriots. So for us, it's more of, you know, it, it's just the culture of the, of the country. No one really understands relegation. I think the biggest challenge for us is just getting the, the team out there and understanding that this is an alternative, not only for you know people at your company that watch games or your clients that enjoy soccer. This is something for everyone. And 
you know, the big thing that you have to kind of sell people on is that this experience is so unique and so different that it, that you'll actually walk away from it and go, wow, I w- I'm, you know, I'm, I can't believe what I saw, you know, because a lot of people haven't experienced a soccer game, let alone an MLS soccer game. And MLS games, yeah, and you hear a lot of the same things. Well, it's not Europe. Well, it's not Mexico. Well, it's not Brazil. It's not Argentina. Well, it's not. No, it's not. But what it is, it's a very unique, you know, it literally is the melting pot of people coming together to support around one side within their communities and root them on. Like for the revolution, we have folks from, you know, Portugal, Italy, Britain, Ireland, Mexico. You know, you come into that, you hear these beautiful sounds and these beautiful languages every day, day on game day. And, you know, for us, the big thing is just telling people that haven't experienced this, why this is awesome. So to kind of answer your question, because we don't have relegation and because the population due to the culture of sports here have never had to experience relegation, that's not really something that comes up. Right. And what what would be the uh, the biggest challenges when, especially uh, when, when you're selling revolution at this point you know aside from covid it's getting people to understand that uh you know it's going to be an experience that people won't forget you know in our country in the united states you know we're seeing a larger following of soccer you know we were having we're getting fan bases that are starting to be noticed you know worldwide it's funny when some when i connected with you and i connected with another uh guy from spain he immediately said oh my god you work for the mls I'm from Venezuela. I, I love Josef Martinez from Atlanta United. And so he's all about the MLS. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Then I talked to another gentleman from uh, Italy, um, and he loves the MLS as well. He thinks it's such an amazing league and it has so much opportunity to do the things the European leagues don't do well. And so, but here in America, again, the culture is not a soccer culture. It's soccer is for kids. Soccer is for high school. But when you go to see pros, it's, Football, baseball, hockey, basketball. Is it? Is it? You know? is, do you have the same thing that uh, um, a lot of kids or or youth are going into soccer be- because uh, or start to love, for example, Revolution, or started to, to to love Revolution because they like I don't know they love Real Madrid or they love Barcelona or something like this. No, so it's interesting. You have some people that go, okay, I can't get I can't go over to Madrid on a whim. I'm going to go watch what's in my backyard and then we get fans oh, out. You, <laughs> you have some people that go, I wouldn't watch it because it's not Chelsea. Okay. Then you have people that go, you know, I love soccer. I played it. And, you know, yeah, I'd love to give this a try. And my son plays. Maybe if I take him to games, he'll get more serious about the sport and maybe he'll find an idol and become a fan. So for us, it's really about cultivating the, the um, you know, those things. But for my role, particularly with the businesses, it's about, this is a unique family experience. And for a lot of people, when they go out to, you know, when I, you say, why, how do you entertain a client? Well, you can either take them to, you know, I'm not going to, don't want to offend anybody here, but obviously you can go into Boston for those of you that haven't been to Boston. So there's a lot of traffic, a lot of traffic. And if going in on a Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday night, very difficult, um, especially if you have young kids, because the minute you go in, you got to come out and then, you know, you have work or school the next day. But for revolution games, you know, you can take out your family. You don't have to talk to John from work. We'll be, and it's a much more family-oriented environment because one, you don't have to drive into the city. And two, you know, your son or daughter probably plays soccer. So 
for them, it's a much more encompassing experience. And that's really what we try to go off of. And for even for some employees, it's just something different and cool. You know, soccer games are, aren't like anything else, you know, really in sport, if you ask me. Like, and, I, and it, what I think makes them so interesting is just how the crowd plays into the flow of the game. If a crowd is into the game, it feels as if the pace of play is quicker. The movements are quicker. The passes are sharper. The goals are more exciting and everything. When the crowd is out of it, the game is choppy. The game has less flow. There's The players aren't as into it. And it's really amazing that of all sports, this sport has such control over its um, over the play in the field. You know, I know with you and your rugby background, you know, rugby is, a, is amazing, but I don't think the crowd truly gets into it until the phases begin. Once that ball phases out, now the crowd's into it. We're looking for that broken tackle. We're looking for that breakaway and that offload to be able to score the try. But once we're rucking and we're scrumming and we're waiting for the throw in, the crowd is antsy and they're not as into it. They're kind of waiting for that exciting phase out to begin. And even with American football, we love the big play, but you know, it's a lot of intermittent cheering until third down. No one's cheering on a punt unless it's going for a touchdown. So, you know, I, I think that um, just makes that so interesting um, from that standpoint. I have to ask you what to, to share with the audience. Where do, where do you know so much about rugby? <laughs> I played in uh, college, played for two years. There you go. Now that, now that means. I was, uh, yeah. What position? Yeah, I played for play? two years. I was a hooker. A hooker? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, number two. Yep. Number two. <laughs> that, that's, a good, that's a good position, though. No. Uh, but it was fun. It's a funny story. My, uh, the guy who was playing got hurt. And I just said, Gallagher, do it. And then he didn't get a spot back. And that was it. I, I ended up stopping because I got the amazing opportunity to go overseas. And, um, you know, by then I was just like, okay, I, I can't really afford to get any injuries now. But I, I'm hoping one day to be able to play recreationally again. I love the, that game. It's a beautiful game, rugby. No, that's that's awesome. And I think, John, if you can also share, I know we already, we, we got into the main business, but to get back to the moment when you, got hired by the current organization you're working for. Can you remember how it happened? And I think this, this or what helped you if there's something uh, certain that you think it helped you to get into, to, to work with this organization. And I think this is going to be really valuable to, to someone who wants to get to work in sports and especially in, in the American leagues. Yeah, so for a sales role like this, you know, the number one thing they asked of us was to be yourself. And I think for a lot of people, that's really intimidating. So when I sat down for the first interview, um, the man I interviewed with, Nick Mann, he worked for the Los Angeles Lakers. He won an NBA championship with the San Antonio Spurs. He worked for the LA Galaxy and he worked for Chiefs USA. This guy has been there for 17 years in the sports industry. He sold sweets to Robert Hershevek. This guy's done it all. And he's sitting down to talk to me. And, you know, I think a lot of us, when we get into these interviews, we think, what do they want to hear? And for me, you know, I never have been good at faking it. I'm just good at doing what, just saying the things I say. As some of you have already noticed, I've said a lot of random things. Yep. Um, so like our interview went on, the interview, we didn't even talk about the job. We just talked about some experiences I had in college from, I got to go to Cuba. Yes, an American in Cuba for 10 days to study the cultural impact of communism on a society. I led a service trip to Albuquerque in Santa Fe, New Mexico, discussing the uh, social issue of Native American rights in American society. 
And we really only talked about traveling the world, his experience in Seoul, South Korea, and um, the impact of uh, what you can do for Native Americans in your own community and how you can reach out to them and give them the support that they need. That was the interview. Then I got a second interview. That one had a little bit more about the job. Um, but again, I just was talking to them about, you know, my past experiences working at the grocery store and how I learned what it meant to be customer oriented. You know, what it means, what motivates, me, like the things that motivate me. I, then the majority of the interview, and I think this is where I sold them. Um, I was talking to the VP of sales about this card game I play called Magic the Gathering. Okay. He's a stockholder in the parent company, Hasbro. And we talked about the Q1 earnings of the company and how that will impact the stock price upon the Q2 earnings coming out the next week and where that and how the game is playing a role in that stock price. I know I'm looking at your face and you're like, you gotta be kidding me. But, and you know, that's awesome. (laughs) And it's like, and just, I was just being myself and I was just talking to them about, you know, what it means, what work means to me, what you're going to get out of me, you know, and what I hope to bring to your organization. And, and I think the way I did that was just through talking about my experiences and being who I am. You know, I, I think a lot of us, we tense up in these interviews and we go, okay, so they want to talk about sales. Well, I once sold lemonade as a six-year-old and I got the, I robbed the whole block of 20 bucks. You know, that's, that, you know, that's cool, but people want to talk to people in sales. People don't want to talk to robots. People want to talk to guys that talk about crazy things. One of my clients, every time I call him, we talk for a half hour about the Lord of the Rings, all black rugby, the wheel of time, and where you think um, the revolution are going to end up finishing. You know, And that's a half hour long conversation and a five minute talk about business. And this guy refers me business. This guy talks to me consistently about just things that goes on. And one time he even called me out of the blue to ask me if I uh, got the book referral that he wanted. You know, so for me, that's the big thing. It's just, you, you got to be yourself. You got to, because if you're not yourself, one, people won't believe in you and your mission and your goals. And two, people see through the fakeness. Like, I think even when we look on social media, we look at somebody and we go, wow, you know, this guy's got a good life or she's got a good life, but is that really them? And then we kind of just keep on scrolling or we keep on swiping, you know, versus some of the people that we look at and we go, wow, this is, this is touching, you know, but you can, you know, when it's real and you know, when it's not. So to anybody that's looking to get into this, be yourself and it will come. And I'll, I'll continue here. The, the, the thought and with, with another question, it's, what is your one secret, one secret that helps you help revolution? I don't really have any secrets. I, again, I just go in there and no, I just, besides, besides you, you, you mentioned about, um, of course, first of all, that helped you to get the job also believe in be, be yourself and then believe in what you sell as well. Yeah. Can you, can you connect that with what you do at, at revolution? Yeah. So for me, when, what helps me do this is one, I, there's, I have a big long-term goal of, you know, one day hoping to work overseas and get involved with either the development of sport or the expanding sport globally. And I know that a lot of what that comes down to is going to come down to what I'm doing today. So if I don't give it my all today and plant the seeds for myself in the future, you know, I will get there. So I make sure that every time my bosses tell me how I can improve, I implement at the next meeting. Every time my boss is telling me I'm doing something great, I make sure I take note of that and make sure I keep on doing that. And I also make sure that I ask questions. I think that's the other big thing is, you know, people are going to tell you, you know, 
People are going to tell, are going to say yes resoundingly, and sometimes people are going to reach out to you and say, "I want this." Um, but the key is to always be a student of the game, always be learning. You know, that's why I called you. I wanted to learn about what you're doing and how you, you know, are helping folks and what you're seeing in Moldova and how can Moldova help you sell revs tickets? It can immensely because everybody's dealing with COVID. Everybody's dealing with COVID in a different way. And maybe by using what someone else is doing, it can bring you to a new light or put you at a much more positive state or a much more uh, better mental state. And then that helps you push forward. And so that's what it's been for me is constantly learning, believing in the product. And then on top of all that, being able to take the no's, not as failures, but they're lessons. Every no is a lesson to get you to the next yes. And with that mentality, I don't get discouraged. You know, some, yeah, everybody gets down some days, but I'm never discouraged. Uh, I just know that this is all part of one giant road to get me to where I want to go. And, you know, some people aren't as lucky as me. Some people don't have this opportunity. Some people don't, um, you know, have the chance to work in sports or even be able to sniff working internationally in sport, you know, and I'm very fortunate to have met you and other folks along the way so far that, you know, not only have helped me with this job, but could help me in the future and whatever that future may be. So for me, again, to any of you that are listening that are in my shoes, I'm only 23 and a half, you know, just be willing to learn, be willing to be coachable and don't get discouraged right away. So it's a long road. And I know you're like a 23 year old is telling me it's a long road. What does he know? He's just getting started. But, you know, I think I've learned that just by seeing the way things are going and what just this year and a half has taught me, especially during COVID. Yeah, it's, and it's exciting. I, I, I want to ask you, what's your dream organization you want to work for? I think this is going to be fun. Oh, that's so tough. You know, if I had a dream organization, you know, I don't know, because I think if you, so funny story, I'll give you an anecdote. When I was working um, at the grocery store, I used to collect carriages or trolleys. Mm -hmm. Um, So one man from England one day was there and, you know, we got into a conversation. He started asking me what you wanted to do. I said, I wanted to work internationally. He looked at me and said, go to Dubai. Dubai. Now I got a couple cousins in Dubai. So I went, interesting. So I saw him again when he comes out with all his groceries, I help him load them into the car and he goes, go to Dubai. And from that thing on, I was like, I got to get there. How am I going to get there? Now I, I think about that and I go, it'd still be awesome to get to Dubai, but is Dubai a long-term destination? I don't know. So for me, it's more of go where the doors open, talk to everybody, learn about everything. Because if you told me a year and a half ago, you'd be working for the revolution and on a Eugenio's podcast from Moldova, I would have said, who and where, you know, and I would, and then I would have said, I work for the New England Revolution. So, you know, it, it's all, it all works out, I believe. And just going wherever the doors open and being able to just, again, work hard where you're at, because it all begins with where you're at. And if you can't do what you are doing now, you won't be able to have not only the credentials, or the reputation nor the backing for what you want to do later so um absolutely i, I think it's going to be fun to to also touch the your office where you're working at is not your home office <laughs> let's let's take let's let, let's take covid apart um the gillette stadium mm-hmm. you're sharing this awesome venue with the team who's not doing very well this year <laughs> let's put it this yeah way. but the the greatest <laughs> dynasty in uh, north american sports yeah, yeah, yeah. New, New England Patriots, and of course, the home of one of the most awesome 
concerts in the world, Gillette Stadium. How is it to uh, share offices and, and the venue with professionals, one of the best professionals in the world? You know, it's really cool when you get to walk in every day and you go, wow, I work here. My lunch break is me walking around the concourse to blow off steam. How many people get to say that? Some people, they go to a break room, a water cooler, a vending machine. I mean, we have that, but I get to walk around a concourse of a professional stadium where Tom Brady, the guy that people in Massachusetts hold higher than Jesus Christ, you know, comes and plays. You know, it's... And I'm not a Patriots fan, which is, I know, crazy to some of the listeners, but I still appreciate his greatness. And, um, you know, for me, just to go out there and see that, you know, it, it's kind of, it's awe-inspiring one. And it, you realize how fortunate you are when you get to go out to Gillette Stadium, sit down in one of the seats, eat your lunch and go, huh, this is my office. That's really cool. What's your, what's your favorite spot inside a stadium? What's your top number one spot? My number one spot is the 300 level. We have this um, premium space called the Encore uh, Lounge Deck. It's named after a casino in Boston. Um, it has a view of the field overlooking it. And in the distance, there's some hills um, uh, that it just gives it a nice green New England feel. So you get a nice, beautiful view, a nice breeze, and then a beautiful New England view from the top. So. I really love going up there and just uh, thinking and reflecting on, you know, maybe a bad call or, you know, something someone said and then going back to work and giving it 110% again. If you would be to sell me a, a season ticket right now or a block of five, five season tickets, what, what would be the, uh, the area in the stadium you would sell it to me? Oh, our, our field box. Now, you're going to laugh. This is, it's the most expensive spot in the stadium for the revolution, but that's not why. Because, oh, you're telling me the most expensive right away. Well, well, here's, <laughs> the, here's, the, thing. Well, here's the thing. The, the reason I do that is because one, it's an experience for a European like yourself that you never experienced. You get to sit field side right beside the video board by the 18 box. So you basically watch the game from the corner flag. And when the players celebrate, they traditionally run to that spot. So you'd be able to watch the players celebrate and score right in front of your face. On top of all, on top of all that, when they throw the ball in from that spot, you could probably reach out and touch them. And on top of that, the chairs are basically movie theater chairs, all-inclusive food and non-alcoholic beverage. And then at the end of the game, a player will come up and autograph a jersey for you. The experience is unbelievable. That's why I think it works for you because, again, it's – I know people are like, oh, my God, he's giving him a sales pitch on, on the podcast. <laughs> no, let's but, do it. It's the, the, but but I think it works for you because, again, part. it's something very unique that you wouldn't get in Europe. You know, in Europe, you'll get very close to the field, but they're probably either going to have a fence or some sort of some sort of riot police ready to not, never let you go near it. But with us, we literally will let you sit on the field and watch the game. You can't even do that for the Patriots. So That's really cool. No, have to have to consider that. <laughs> well, if you're ever in Boston for a game, I'll, I'll give you a tour of the field and I'll let you see the spot. You may not be able to sit in those seats, but uh, I'll definitely let you see the spot. Or and so, that's really cool. Appreciate it. <clears throat> we'll we'll get into a a new part of the show. I'm I'm asking you some short. I'm asking the guests short questions, and you uh, have to give me a quick. Uh, answer to those questions. It's apart from the words associations game that is going to be a little bit later. But uh, th- these are some short, so short answers just to to get you a bit warmed up in this uh, Massachusetts uh, 
almost winter. Yeah, we're very, <laughs> 10, 10 degrees uh, Celsius weather. 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favorite sporting event of all time? The Super Bowl. What's your favorite athlete of all time? Hmm. David Ortiz. You know, just growing up in Boston, you know, he's a guy that, you know, as a lifelong Red Sox fan, he did so much great for that organization, for the city. And, you know, there's, there's no more of an iconic guy in my lifetime than David Ortiz. And since you named men in the category, I have to ask you, who is your favorite woman in sports, either athlete or professional? Alex Morgan. She's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's cool. What's your best advice uh, you've ever received in your life? Fail. Ooh. Because you only learn through failure. There you go. And what advice would you give to yourself before you got to work in sports business? Take advantage of every moment of it. It's going to be a fun ride. There you go. That's a good one. And now it's time for the, uh, for the Words Associations game. So the first one is New England Patriots. Dynasty. Real Madrid. The enemy. Ooh. <laughs> I'm an Atletico fan. Okay, okay. Thierry Henry. Handball. Come on. That's right, that's right. I'm referencing that, you know, that handball that they stole from Ireland. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I'm not, I, I, I mentioned, I know the English football imperial. I know, I know. Um, English Premiership. Manchester United. And last but not least, Gillette Stadium. Concourse Walks. There you go. I love it. John, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, man. Oh, thank you so much for letting me come on. It's been an absolute blast. And, you know, I, I hope uh, someone out there that's listening to this gets touched by this. And again, like you, if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes below. And, you know, I'm always open to have a conversation just to talk about life, uh, not just business. I, I prefer the life conversations. No, absolutely. And, and just just go and connect on LinkedIn. John is really open. And uh, add a note that you're coming from ePROcast, if you're listening to this. He is really good at speaking about life. I promise. He's really awesome. So go connect, follow everywhere. And man, I hope I hope you win tonight. Your team yeah. wins tonight. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be celebrating in the future. So yeah, John, thanks, thanks again a lot, man. And uh, um, I hope you stay warm during uh, this uh, upcoming cold winter. Yeah, no, you too, Eugenio. Thank you so much for everything. And I hope you stay safe and stay well and that everything goes the way you hope for Kishnav Scorpions. All righty. Appreciate it, John. Take care, man. Thank you. That was it for this episode. Please share it with your friends and everyone who you think will get value out of it. Also share it on all social media platforms and tag the big E using the details from the episode notes. If you enjoyed it, leave a rate and review. Make sure you stay tuned and subscribe to not miss another episode. On behalf of the ePROcast team, stay safe and see you in the next one. Peace out.